welcome to the TechLink Health Podcast, an on-demand source for the top-trending healthcare topics and insights, delivered by key opinion and emerging leaders and as featured on the TechLink Health app. The healthcare industry is rapidly evolving, so our goal is to connect listeners to the most relevant insights, ranging from digital health to financial well-being to interesting side gigs. For more details, visit www.techlink.health. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the TechLink Health Podcast. I am Dr. Saman. I'll be hosting this episode. This episode is going to focus on health technologies from a global perspective with topics ranging from Web 3.0 to blockchain to federated learning. Today's guest is Alex Kahana, Web 3.0 champion, founder of BT Block Health Group, blockchain expert for the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe, as well as strategic advisor to a variety of startups and digital health organizations. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Kahana. Thank you, Rodney, for having me, and it's a pleasure to be here. Excited to talk to you today. So why don't we just get started with some background, take a few minutes to talk about your journey into Web 3.0, as well as some initiatives that you're involved with. I'll try to be brief. You know, in my medium post uh, title, I write, I lived four lives in one, which means not only that I'm old, but I lived the dirty little secrets of each life. I've been in clinical medicine for over 25 or 26 years in anesthesiology, ICU, and pain medicine. I've been uh, 15 years in technology integration into the clinical workflow. Always been a systems thinker, always enjoy system design, believing that people have to receive all these amazing things that we discover in medicine. And in the last, I would say, five, six years, I've been very much interested in the different technologies that we'll talk today and I'll share with your audience. I spent almost two years reading about it, and then I started writing about it. And people said, oh, you're a crypto health uh, influencer. I felt more like a crypto health a Sherpa, carrying everybody's mm-hmm. stuff and nobody knowing my name. But um, I was very fortunate to become the uh, UN advisor for blockchain and healthcare. I work very much in the European Union, African Union policymaking. I'm a co-editor of the book named Healthcare and Blockchain. As mentioned, uh, we, we founded a uh, group that socializes, educates, evangelizes these technologies in, in, in a way that's different from other partnerships. It's called a DAC, a Distributed Autonomous Collaborative. So it's very exciting to explain all these things. And if anything, COVID uh, has shown us that we need to change. So looking forward. Wow, that's very impressive. You definitely are doing a lot of things. And definitely we want to dig deeper into some of those topics. So many of the technologies such as Web 3.0, blockchain, and federated learning are emerging themes in healthcare, but ones that are not familiar to some, particularly those not in the industry. In your words, tell us a little bit more about these technologies and how they will help to create a healthier future. Sure. So there's a lot to unpack. I I would prefer to start with the why rather than the how. When I talk about Web 3.0, then first of all, you have to know that there's a Web 1.0 and a Web Mm 2.0. And I I don't know how much the audience knows and how the internet works. So I will not assume that it's familiar with the layer one, layer two protocols. And I won't assume that it knows how it moves with information packets and cables under the ocean, but rather say that Web 1.0, that we could remember it starting in the early 90s, allowed us to democratize data. That's basically what it was. Mm -hmm. So you and I are old enough to remember that when we were kids and we were asked a question around the table, 
we had to run either to some books we had at home or go to the library. And the one mm-hmm. who had the best memory was the smartest in the room. And mm-hmm. now it's just basically Google. And Google became a verb, just Google. So that, mm-hmm. that's Web 1.0. Web mm-hmm. 2.0, which I would say is about 20 years later, so 2010, something like that, when when really uh, 3G came out, uh, broadband, we could move larger pieces of data, then it became more dynamic. It wasn't static and, and everything's now to YouTubes and a whole bunch of clips and podcasts and things that we use to to transfer this information. And so this is almost like the web of influencers. Mm-hmm. We're able to democratize mm-hmm. ideas. Mm-hmm. So someone far away in Africa or in China can be impactful here and the other way around. And we mm-hmm. become this huge library or a community of where we can share ideas and exchange information and knowledge and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's very empowering. But we're also now encountering the difficulties of um, fakeness. We're not sure mm-hmm. that what we're hearing is true. So, so, so we're suffering from this problem of trust. And basically, Web 3.0, which is the next iteration that is happening under our nose, is really this, this idea of how can we trust what we're missing. How can we exchange value mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and make sure that this is really Alex and not someone else? And this is really what I think and what I say and what I'm saying is accurate. That's why the web has evolved and acquired these type of uh, capabilities that will allow the internet of value, the internet of exchange that is trustworthy. Which brings me to the second uh, concept, which is blockchain. And I'm sure that a lot of people heard a little bit about blockchain or at least heard a lot about Bitcoin. And so immediately what they think about is, oh, this is all crypto and Bitcoin and making money. And this is like a dark web and really hacking and all kinds of negative things. And actually blockchain, the way I explain it, is the software solution to this problem of trust. And the way it does it is actually a very elegant way uh, using a lot of math and a lot of uh, encryption, which is basically also math, but is based on the idea of decentralization. So it's not something that knowledge or data is in one place and is centralized and it's owned. It's decentralized. So the easiest way to think about it is, I don't know, Rodney, do you use like Google Docs or Google Sheets, right? You know, mm-hmm. or Excel, right? So Let's say you want to write the whole day on your records, uh, how much money you made today or how many Mm -hmm. patients you saw. And so Mm -hmm. you write down, you have this ledger, it's called a ledger, it's basically a shopping list or a list of things. And you just add stuff. This is what I did at eight, nine, at 10, and you just write it. But you agree with me that if now it's a shared document, like happens with Google Sheets or Google Docs, suddenly you know that I'm looking at, or maybe your partners are looking at or your boss is looking mm-hmm. at it. So, so you start mm-hmm. to be more careful in what you write. More transparent. More, exactly. You're more transparent, more trustworthy. Mm-hmm. You see how it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's solving the problem of trust. You say, well, uh, $15.95 is not $20. It's $15.95. Mm-hmm. So you start to be more thoughtful in your input. Imagine that at the end of that day, everybody looks at it and says, this is what we did today. This is what we made. This is what we saw. This is what we found. And we sign it. We sign on it. We use encryption. We all agree. Okay. That's the total. And that's it. And that is a block, a block of information. And imagine you do it every day, every day. And so the blocks are in a chain. And so what happens is you can't afterwards, a few days later, a week later, months later, years later, 
come back and change stuff mm-hmm. because they're all linked in a chain. This is basically a, a way to make sure that the information is transparent, like you said. Mm-hmm. It's immutable. In other words, it can't change. It is truthful. Okay? There's integrity in that data and that uh, it is shared and you can define who are people that you know you can share. So if you want to share it, let's say just with your buddies, it could be a private blockchain. If you want everybody to see it, it could be a public uh, blockchain, permissionless uh, blockchain. And it could be a hybrid, any in between. So if Web 3.0 is the decentralized framework of how to create this internet that we can trust, blockchain is one of the most important tools to make sure that this is trustworthy because it avoids the, the centralization of information that A, can be hacked, B, it mm-hmm. can be changed, so it's it's collusion resistant, right? Let's say I call you and say, you know, Ronnie, it really doesn't look good. Maybe you can change my entries. Can't happen, because if you'll start to tamper with it, everybody's going to see. And the third is censorship, that, you no, know, I can't say, well, let's not tell anyone. And you understand, everybody, I'm sure, is thinking about COVID and information and states mm-hmm. and CDC, and we don't know what to think, what's right, what's wrong, FDA, how are they going to do with, with, with the vaccine, I don't know. So it brings this, this trust into the system, what we call trustlessness. In other words, that we don't have to trust someone to say that. So that's the blockchain piece. And federated learning is a type of uh, machine learning. So we know artificial intelligence is any program that machines can do that make them think that they're intelligent. So like if my phone answers, it's like, wow, she's really smart, Siri. Obviously, there's no real Siri. It's not a person. But the machine seems smart like a person. So I say she's powered by AI. And there are many ways to make machines seem with human intelligence that they can see, they can talk, they can understand, they can read, they can write, they can make songs, all kinds of things like that. So one of them is machine learning, where the machine learns how to analyze all this data. And federated learning is this type of open, decentralized way of doing this. One of the ways I like to explain it is we're all physicians here, doctor visits. Okay, so one way to go is like everybody goes to the hospital. So all the data has to go to one place. So it could be the hospital, it could be Amazon, it could be the cloud. Now you understand that it's the inconvenience in that. It could be hacked, it could be tampered. So instead, this is like doctor's visits, you know, house visits. They come home. So instead of the data coming to the algorithm, the algorithm comes to the data. So I come to you. Mm-hmm. I talk to you and say, hmm, Rodney, tell me a little bit about, you know, your symptoms. And you're talking and my algorithm is working and I'm kind of figuring out, oh, so it sounds like you have COVID. And then I go and I visit Anthony and I talk to Anthony. Hmm, that's really interesting and blah, blah, blah. And that sounds like COVID. And then I go to Govind and so on and on and on. And then at the end, my algorithm says, well, everybody who has one, two, three, four, five, they have COVID. And you guys don't have to share data. You guys don't have to worried that there's going to be information leakage. It's like going to the hospital. You don't have to be worried that they won't recognize you, that you'll get lost in the corridor, that they will mistake you for someone else. So federated learning, again, is a very powerful tool to keep our information secure and private and trustworthy. Wow, that's a lot to think about, all those different ideas and integrating those together. So I want to talk a little bit more about the idea of the pandemic and uh, how this would play out. On your first point in in Web 3.0, you talked uh, about the trust of the data. 
Now, uh, in, in a situation like this with the pandemic, for example, I was getting a lot of my data from Twitter or pre-print publications that weren't even published yet. So who decides that all this data is a legitimate, accurate in a situation like a pandemic? And how do those three concepts play into making this idea of truth? That's an excellent question, Rodney. What you're talking to me about is how do we assure the veracity? And that goes back to these technologies, especially blockchain, if you want the source of the information. So Mm -hmm. you mentioned folks that said something in Twitter, but you don't know who that person is, or it's Mm -hmm. hard to find out who that person is, where did they come up with this idea, what were the resources, uh, how did it transmit, who transmitted. So there's a whole host, uh, um, if you want a supply chain, a value chain, when you hear something. So let's say I want to get a vaccination, then I want to know where that vaccine came from. Who made Mm -hmm. it? What's in it? Did it get to me in the right temperature? Was it always uh, in in freezing conditions? Is it of good quality? People want to know, did I have side effects? Uh, Data is something that's big. It includes a lot of elements. And Mm -hmm. so the key to make sure that what we have is trustworthy really comes together with the transparency and ability to track that information. And so where it starts to break down in the current situation is that there are these centralized entities that we're not sure how they got to that decision. For example, you say you read stuff that were before peer review. Okay, so what's going on with peer review? I don't know. Who's my reviewers? How do they decide? Do they have financial conflicts? Maybe they don't want to publish my stuff because they don't like me. So when you have a system that is decentralized and is distributed by multiple uh, uh, members of a community that have different areas of intelligence, interest, investment, that maintains an ecosystem of transparency. And so when you say who owns it, and that's where it becomes really uh, interesting, is everyone and no one. And that's the question of ownership. Mm -hmm. And that is a very new way of thinking of things. It's like, what does it mean that it's owned by everyone and no one? Well, right now we live in a reality where there are five companies that control all our data. I don't remember my insurance company giving me a check because I behaved in a certain way. I don't recall mm-hmm. 23andMe sending me a check when they sent my information to a drug company. So the question is, this information that comes out from me, how do I make sure that I own it and that it belongs to me? I think one of the greatest things in COVID is that people understand, wow, this is not going well. Suddenly, we don't know how many ventilators they are. Why isn't there any toilet paper? Why can't I get alcohol gel and stuff like that? It's because Mm -hmm. there's no transparency in the supply chain. And we don't Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. what are the reasons that Mm -hmm. things are existing and not existing. So if anything, now people are calling me and saying, Dr. Kahana, I didn't understand what you were talking about all these years, but I think that people are starting to realize that everything that pertains to data, be it data security, otherwise not being hacked, data privacy, where there are some data that you don't want it to be shared, or data ownership, where you want to own your information or a company wants to own its information, wants to do it in a way that can also be financially beneficial. Interesting. And and the the point about the ventilator is very interesting because, as you know, as an anesthesiologist, initially they were ventilating everyone and then they realized that maybe it's not great. I know some New York doctors were 
talking about this on Twitter, but not everybody agreed with that to not ventilate. And there was this debate. And meanwhile, the government's saying we need thousands of more ventilators and the president's bragging about how many ventilators, but we're not even sure we need those ventilators. And so this was happening in real time. And so that debate is still a little bit out there. I know some don't agree with that fully, but it seems to be gaining some traction that not everybody needs to be innovative uh, for COVID. You bring a very important point, and maybe this I want to kind of like uh, point out to your listeners, is that when you ask me, okay, how many ventilators do we need? It sounds like an easy question. It's mm-hmm. like, I, ju- I just need to know how many ventilators, not like rocket science. But the problem is that the, it's an easy question, but the answer is really hard. Why? Mm-hmm. Because it's a really big question. In other words, I need a lot of data. It is a very expensive question because I have to sift through that data. I have to de-identify the data. I have to prepare it. So that costs a lot of money. And uh, at the end, it's, it's, it's too sensitive. I don't want people to know stuff about I have COVID and then I'm going to have stigma and nobody want to hire me or everybody's going to look with me lopsided because they think I'm sick and I have this kind of mental COVID scar going on and everything mm-hmm. and mental health. So because if the information becomes too big, too sensitive and too expensive, we don't have the information. We don't give good answers. Mm-hmm. And it's only mm-hmm. with these type of technologies like blockchain and federated learning that we can actually give these answers. That's mm-hmm. the connection. That's why this conversation is so relevant to your listeners and not like, why the hell am I listening about? Right. Maybe a year ago, nobody would care, but now everybody's interested in this topic. So um, I heard recent interview with Ruth Porat, the CFO of Google, who was talking about AI. And, and I think she had breast cancer and she was talking to her oncologist about it in New York at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And he had told her that until we get AI, we'll never have the democratization of healthcare. Now, I would uh, assume that you agree with that point. I want to go into a little bit about the primary drivers for new health ecosystems and how that's uh, raising the cost of healthcare and accessibility at a global scale. When, when you think about the future of healthcare with regards to the quality of treatment and cost, what does it look like? Where are these technologies positioned in the journey towards decreased costs? and more accessibility? Wow, those are great questions, Rodney. And I wish we would have like a, a, a whole hour for each question that would make my mm-hmm. uh, answers a little bit less dense. So I apologize if I'm just trying to uh, pack a lot in each answer. But first of all, in response to what Ruth Porat said about AI, um, not AIs are all the same. And I want people mm-hmm. to understand that just like I was talking about Web 3.0 being decentralized and distributed and open, There's a difference between closed and black box AI, the ones that the big companies are doing right now, versus open and decentralized AI. Mm -hmm. So I agree that the future is in AI, but only if it's open. Because if it's Mm -hmm. not, then we get, again, the collusion, the censorship, all the problems that I talked before, which causes the problems of deep fakes, causes the problems of bias. AI, at the end of the day, is the input and output. And if you put things that are biased or, or, or low quality, you just amplify that. So I wanted just to, to make that as a side 
mark remark. Now, mm-hmm. in terms of access and cost, I think that the current model there's a huge difference between lean economies and and affluent or fat economy. In in the U.S., we I say we don't suffer from COVID; we suffer from affluenza. It's a fat system, and we I know like that. Yeah, and we know that this almost four trillion dollar, at least one trillion, is waste. Now, I work mm-hmm. in Africa, and there are countries that have a budget that is a budget of a city here in the U.S. So they're lean. Mm-hmm. They don't have the same issues that we have. Mm-hmm. So I want to, first of all, separate between that. But at least in, in affluent or fat economies, we are thought of the idea that value equals quality divided by cost. So if something costs a lot and the quality of what you get is low, it doesn't have a lot of value. That's how people think in their head. Should I pay $750 for a Band-Aid? Of course not, because it's just a Band-Aid. Why would I pay $750 for a Band-Aid or $33,000 for an emergency room to, to, to have uh, someone look at me and say, you're fine, and then leave because there was the trauma emergency team on call. So that's the way we think about it. And the problem with V value equals quality divided by C is that A, quality is not the same for everybody. So for Mm -hmm. example, uh, for a patient, a million dollar pill, that's high quality. Of course, I want a million dollar pill. But if I am, for example, a health commissioner, and I have to take care of 7 million people, Million dollar pills are not very helpful. I prefer maybe to have cheaper pills and I can take care of more people than have like one pill and just take care of one person. So Mm -hmm. quality means different things for different stakeholders in healthcare. But the second thing is also the question of cost. And when you put cost in the denominator, basically what that means is that the only way to make things more valuable is to reduce cost. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we we make things cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. It's it's like the... uh, uh, the joke of the farmer, right, that had a mule and the mule died. And he said, it's such a shame because last week I taught him how to work with no water and food. So I don't know why he died. <laughs> so, so the point being that when we think about value and value proposition, we think in terms of quality and cost, and that is a mistake. Mm-hmm. And what blockchain and federated learning and decentralized economies that are based on networks, that are based on a skin in the game, basically say that on the numerator, you're going to have, what am I willing to give divided by what I expect to get? The fact that everybody expects to get a lot, that's no brain. Sure, I want everything for free. But if I'm not willing to give anything into it, if I'm not willing to stop smoking, eat well, sleep well, exercise, stop drinking alcohol, taking drugs, there's no value proposition. If a pharma company doesn't want to make drugs available, there's no affordable, there's no value proposition. If the community or the government, the state or federal government doesn't want to invest in infrastructure, there's no value proposition. So the question has to be, what is it about cost? What are you willing to give in? And that's why I think that we are living in a situation where costs are going up and up and up, while at the same time, our life expectancy is going down and down. And the reason is because we don't have any incentives to stay healthy. We don't have any incentives to really contribute to the saliency of the system. What I hope that will be achieved with blockchain technology and the ability to create rewards and incentives is to align these incentives. 
you know, if I'm in a system where you, by you gaining money, I actually do less well, that's not sustainable. So we have to create an economic system where you benefit and I benefit as well. Mm-hmm. And this is the stuff that we're trying to do in Africa because it's just easier to do it. There's less incumbents. There are more immediate needs. And so that's why cost control is way more straightforward and easier. And if I would have to kind of summarize it for the audience in a sentence, and those who have heard me before heard me say this, the fundamental problem in the U.S. and other affluenza health systems is we treat individuals as health service consumers. So if that's the business model, consumption, the only way to make money is to consume more and more, more pills, Mm -hmm. more tests, Mm -hmm. you know, a Mm -hmm. test for every pest, a pill for every ill. And so from 100 to 1,000 to 10,000, now we have million-dollar pills. That's it. But it becomes Mm non-sustainable. So what needs to happen is to transform people from being health consumers, health service consumers, to health and producers. Now, the Mm -hmm. problem with health production, which you could say, well, that's what Fitbit does. That's what my Oura Ring does, is that it's no, there's no incentive for me. Because if, if you tell me, Alex, if you'll eat blueberries now instead of a steak and you'll live 15 minutes more in 30 years, I say, you know what, I'll opt for the steak and for, you know, I'll, I'll forego the 15 minutes. But if I actually get $50, $100, $500, I get hard cash from maintaining my hemoglobin A1C by maintaining the, the optimal weight and make sure that I plug in all the necessary exercise, not because I have this internal locus of control, but because I actually have supplemental uh, health mm-hmm. income, that will really change. Because now it's not just a health producer, it's a wealth producer. And this is what we're doing in Africa. And this is, by the way, what we're presenting this week at the United Nations, the universal health income. So not UBI, not I'm a kid, so I need an allowance from the government, but a UHI that instead of me consuming services with no end, I can actually make serious supplemental income by behaving in a healthy and responsible way that not only helps me, but helps my family, my community, and the planet. Interesting points for sure. And and you have me thinking about so many things, but a couple of points was the the test w- uh, without a pest idea. Early on in this pandemic, they were talking about, okay, if you want a test, you'll get a test. Anybody, whether you have symptoms or not, we're getting tested. And, and maybe that model of consumerism or the health consumers rather than the idea of preventive health. I thought it was interesting points that you were making. This also brings me to the idea of fee-for-service versus value-based healthcare and uh, this idea of investing in public health. And, And I think the pandemic certainly has brought in a lot of good in the sense of these discussions about value-based care and moving away from fee-for-service and putting more effort in public health and investing in in health rather than the idea that everybody needs to be covered by insurance. This idea that if you have insurance or Affordable Care Act, that everything's great, the world is perfect. I always find it frustrating that politicians don't want to talk about uh, health in that sense, rather than just about health insurance. That's an important point that I want to underline, Rodney, because you said something important. Again, the value-based care, the V 
The problem is we are looking at it as value and the value-based mm-hmm. care is Q divided by C. Right, right. So what an insurance thinks is quality and what a pharma thinks in quality and what an employer or patient thinks are quality are separate things. Right. And, and, and so it's always about cost suppression. And really what the value-based care movement is missing is where am I in all these? Where am I in the economics? During the pandemic, I haven't sought any type of healthcare services staying home, isolating myself, making sure that I don't get sick. I'm not doing colonoscopies. I'm not doing visits. I'm deferring stuff. I'm saving tons of monies to the insurance companies that are doing extremely well, extremely mm-hmm. well. And, and on top of that, my tax money is going to hospitals to all the costs that are COVID related that were unexpected. And at the same time, if I do a test, suddenly I'm charged $11,000 for a test. The point being is that it's an exclusionary economy. And so what mm-hmm. we're trying to do with blockchain is to include people using digital access, cryptocurrencies, tokens, tokens as rewards. That's what we're doing in other economies and other places mm-hmm. in the world where you can get rewards and brownie points. So it could be non-monetary, mm-hmm. like co-pays from your insurers or, or all mm-hmm. kinds of things. So I'm not talking about unraveling the insurance delivery system because that's way too political and way too difficult, but just the simple idea that people confuse between universal healthcare and universal access to healthcare. These are two different things. So I have very little confidence in having one centralized single system. Okay, we were talking at the beginning of the hour, right? What is the problem with centralization? That there's bureaucracy, that there is um, security hacks, that there's collusion and censorship. So it has to be centralized. Now, we do have centralized medicine. We do have single payer in the United States. They're called CMS, Medicare and Medicaid, Mm -hmm. or or the VA. Now, could you imagine how hard delivery is with the VA with 23 million? Could you imagine how that would look like with 330 million? Mm -hmm. So I understand why people want Uncle Sam to pay for everything. All I'm saying is that if you understand the fragility and the power of technology, then you understand that creating a centralized behemoth makes it more fragile and vulnerable, and that makes it more resilient and strong. And so what we need to do is not say, I want mom and dad to pay for everything and all that, but to figure out an economic system where actually I can own my own money. I don't want allowance. I don't want mom and dad to pay for me. I want Mm -hmm. an Mm -hmm. allowance that I can be paid for because I'm incentivized to be healthy from day one. And that's Mm -hmm. the beauty Mm -hmm. of this Web 3.0. Fascinating point. I'm reminded of this video I saw on LinkedIn where I think it was in France where you can get on the subway if you did 20 squats and you got like a token. (laughs) It would measure the fact that you did the 20 squats and you would get a, a little slip. Absolutely. That's the way to do it. So in Africa, we do it by boiling water, taking your kid to a vaccination, prenatal Mm -hmm. Going for a walk. Going for a walk, Mm -hmm. eating those blueberries. Mm -hmm. Again, Mm -hmm. this is not complicated. I always say to people, don't do things differently. Just view them differently. And I think that Mm -hmm. the problem is that people view data as something to optimize operations. Mm -hmm. instead of looking at data as my own asset. 
Mm-hmm. So data is like money, okay? Not monetization of them. I'm talking about money. Data is like money. It's it's mine. It's mine. It's personal. It's valuable. I want it safe mm-hmm. and secure in a wallet, and I want to access it whenever I want, okay? Mm-hmm. Whenever I want, for wherever I want, for whatever reason. It's not like here, if God forbid, I want some data from my electronic health record. There's no way that I can get it quickly. And if I believe that it's like money, that it's an asset, I can invest in it. I can make mm-hmm. its value accrue and I can give it. I can give it to, to my family, to my nears and dears. I can donate it to society and to science. So again, we are living in a cloud of data. But the question is, who does that data belong to and what are we doing with it? And that's basically the problem. Great. And one point of view with the TechLink Health Initiative is the interoperability of technologies, data, and people and how that will shape the landscape of the future. How will such technologies or platforms enable change and why? And what role will these innovations play in these efforts? Well, it's perfect segue because we are talking about data. I love TechLink and what Anthony and what you have done. And, you know, for disclosure, I, I advise you guys and we talk about these things. I think it is the future because it answers the real problem of data illiquidity. Think about it as cash. If I don't have actually cash to buy stuff, then it's not that I'm poor or I don't have assets. It's just that I don't have cash. I'm, I'm liquid. I can't make a transaction. And so this platform that is a threefer, it has telehealth in it. It has a peer-to-peer platform where professionals can talk about practices. And it has this ability to find gigs for the industry, for physicians to supplement income. So this is really about leveraging data in a distributed, decentralized way that serves the members. That's basically the problem, especially for doctors who are in multiple memberships. We can network also without that. So again, we go back to value. What's the real value? And so this gives communities of doctors a platform, empowers them to share democratization of information, to share ideas and it's trustworthy, and you can be tokenized. You can show that you're engaged, and that's a new way to engage membership. And that's really what what this is all about. I hope that what comes out of this conversation is that the future is now. And if we don't know what they are, we can't imagine it. We have now the intelligence. We have now the technology that exists, be it blockchain, be it federated learning, be it homomorphic encryption or all kinds of things that allow your information to stay secure and private, be it a tokenization where you can get rewarded for your engagement in the community. It all exists and it's very exciting. Fascinating. Thank you. And and in closing, any final recommendations for those interested in staying connected to the next wave of innovations within healthcare? Well, I would invite everybody to try TechLink, of course, to read what I write, Alex Kahana, you know, at Medium. And then if you just Google my name, you'll hear me on multiple podcasts and I, I walk around talking about these things. But mostly is to understand less the how and more the why. Why are we doing this? And I would argue, and maybe this is kind of the uh, take-home message, and again, people who have listened to me before have heard me say this, but it's worth repeating, that I remember once I was testifying in Congress, and uh, uh, I, I was asked, how do we fix healthcare? <laughs> and so I smiled. I said, how much do I have? Like five minutes, two minutes? 
And so they looked at me and they said, you had 90 seconds. So I said, I'll, I'll give you an answer in 30 seconds. And everybody laughed. And so I said, what is the opposite of health? And everybody answered, the opposite of health is illness, is disease. Mm-hmm. And I said, that is why our system doesn't work. Because uh, the opposite of health is not disease and illness. The opposite of health is isolation. Mm-hmm. That through disease and illness, our world contracts and becomes smaller and smaller and we become isolated. Until mm-hmm. one day we wake up and we feel so alone, rightfully or not, but we feel so alone that we take a single malt or a Chardonnay, an Oxycontin, a Benzo, and we die. And this happens 150 times a day, even more now with COVID. And so if you agree, Rodney, for a second that the opposite of health is isolation, the journey back to health is through connectedness. Mm-hmm. And that connectedness is through data, it's through family, community, faith, knowledge. And so I always say if you take the I out of illness and you replace it with we, you get wellness. So I would like people just to understand that the crux of all this Web 3.0 and these new technologies is that these are we technologies. These are technologies that are based on communities and on network effects and on the ability to connect between people and in a way that's not extractive, that is not predatory, that is not unethical, and that it preserves your dignity as a person. Because we are our actions. And our actions are captured by data. So these are exciting times awaiting ahead. I really appreciate the opportunity to spend the hour with you to share with your audience these uh, uh, ideas. And everybody can connect to me at alex at btblock.io and uh, continue the conversation. So thanks a bunch. Thank you so much. I'm very excited about the future after listening to what you had to say. And in closing, um, you're definitely saying some very profound things. And I hope people really take a close listen to this podcast and try to initiate some of those activities. In some ways, the pandemic has been a mixed blessing for these kind of discussions and the idea of even connectedness. Uh, Even Ruth Porat on uh, Bloomberg said she hadn't spent so much time with her grown kids since the pandemic hit. And I think that's what you're seeing out there. People are are being forced to reconnect with their families in a way they they haven't before. So um, with that, thank you so much, Dr. Kahana, and we look forward to chatting again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. TechLink Health is a healthcare advisory platform for consumers and organizations to stay informed with the latest insights while connecting with healthcare experts for telehealth, e-consults, and consulting services. For more details, visit www.techlink.health.